In a recent issue of the Christian Century magazine, David Corbin tells this story. He was driving through the streets of downtown Los Angeles around 2nd Avenue. He was driving past one of those big lots filled with dirt. It had a chain-link fence around it. They were building some kind of new building there, a theater or something, and all around the building, the sidewalks were cracked and battered. And David noticed there on the sidewalk a man with no legs. The man was on one of those platforms with wheels on it, kind of like an oversized skateboard. And the man's little board had gotten stuck in one of the cracks of the sidewalk. So David pulled over, he got out of the car, he asked if he could help him get unstuck, and the man accepted his offer. And as David was loosening the skateboard wheels and getting the man free, he said, where are you headed? He said, well, I'm going to Bell Gardens. He said, well, I could drive you if you want. He said, oh, that'd be great. And so David picked up the man with no legs. He put him in the front seat of his car and he loaded the little platform with the wheels on it in his back seat. And the two men drove through Los Angeles down the Santa Ana freeway, not exchanging names. And then the man was directing David, exit here now, turn right here, go down this little alley, and suddenly they were in an alleyway. They were driving past several houses that had fences around the backyards, and then they came to a dirt yard with no fence. And the man said, turn in here. And there was a man standing there in the dirt yard who was suddenly startled. He shouted towards the house as he ran towards the car. Suddenly, four more folks emerged from the house, running towards the car, opening the passenger door, and lifting the man up out of the car. Only this time, they didn't set the man down. They circled around him. They shouted. They gave him one of those monster hugs. They just embraced him and shouted for joy. And David never went back to Bell Gardens after he drove away, leaving his passenger there. But he never forgot about the spontaneous joy and the exhilarating welcome that this man on the platform had received, having just been discharged from prison and welcomed back into that beautiful place filled with dirt and also with shouts of praise. In today's scripture lesson, there are 10 lepers who are healed by Jesus, and one erupts with shouts of praise and offers thanksgiving. All 10 of them are outcasts in society, and Jesus sends them back to the temple where they can be welcomed back into the community of faith. That was the custom. That was what they needed to do. But one man spontaneously erupts in joyful gratitude, coming back, turning back from his friends, falling down right in front of Jesus and thanking him profusely and lavishing upon God praise for this joyful moment. Now, there are other places in the Bible that tell us about lepers, times when a leper is healed or a leper is left outside. It is sprinkled all throughout the pages of the scripture from the beginning to the end. And usually when we hear a story about a leper, we think, oh, we should reach out. We should be kind to those on the margins, to those who are outcasts. But in this story, all of us are lepers. All of us are left wondering, where would I be? Would I be one of the nine going on? Or would I be that one who came back to say thank you? 
And yet we know, we know that Luke tells us so much more here than a Miss Manners lesson. It is more than how to say thank you. Why is it that one experienced the most joyful gratitude that he couldn't help himself but to come back and say thanks? The famous theologian Karl Barth used to say that the basic human response to God is gratitude. He said, what else can we say to what God gives us but to stammer praise? And the popular writer and Christian thinker C.S. Lewis said, I have noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced minds are the ones who praise the most, while the cranks, the misfits, and the malcontents praise the least. Praise, said C.S. Lewis, almost seems to be inner health made audible. But praise cannot be forced or demanded. Praise is not something we can do because someone said we should. What was it then about that one leper that enabled him to experience this indescribable joy? The text tells us that this one was different from the nine. He was, the text tells us, a Samaritan, a foreigner. So maybe his skin disease has been healed by Jesus. Maybe he is no longer an untouchable in society because he no longer suffers from what was thought to be a contagious and incurable skin disease that rendered him invisible in society. But still, he's a Samaritan. He's a social, cultural, and religious outcast. And so maybe he is able to praise God because he, unlike the others, was deeply aware that he was still the outsider, still a broken person, still alienated from the mainstream of society. The scripture says only one came back, and he was a Samaritan, an outsider, a resident alien. There was no question that he still didn't belong. What about us? Do we belong? The way Luke tells the story, maybe all of us are aliens. When Luke introduces this story, he says, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. But here's the problem. There is no region between Samaria and Galilee. It's like saying, you know, that region between Kansas and Missouri, there is no region between Kansas and Missouri. There's just the border. And so Luke says, Jesus is standing there in the middle of state line on the border where everyone doesn't quite belong. Everyone is somehow an outsider. Everyone is somehow inadequate or broken or not fully whole. This whole geography of Luke only makes sense if we think of it as describing our own spiritual landscape, our own emotionally fragile state, our own alienation from God and from one another. Some of us look like we have life pretty well put together, but deep down we know we don't. We are pretty good at pretending that we are one of the nine, that our lives are pretty darn good. Let's go. Let's go to the temple and pray. But none of us really has it all put together 100% of the time. 
Judith Valente recalls in one of her books that she was starting out a fabulous career in journalism. She was working for a national newspaper that was the most sought after job she could imagine. She was working long hours, getting good assignments, but she wasn't happy. She said, I had a job that included my life, but not a life that included my job. Still, she was empty and lost. I think of my friends who have a beautiful home and three amazing children, but one of their children is not neurotypical. He's on the autism spectrum. Recently, the family went to a school carnival, and they were devastated when one of the parents of a neurotypical child was rude to their child who has autism, pushing him away, not showing him the compassion that he deserved. And the parents went home fragile, feeling like outsiders. Luke invites us to pay attention to the spiritual geography of our own lives, that place wherever it is for each of us, that place on the border between Samaria and Galilee where we sometimes feel fragile and unworthy and imperfect and sad, like an alien, alien to God, alien to one another. In the book, The Way of Love, Mark Eddy shares his story. Mark was married, he had two children, he was enjoying playing in a bluegrass band, he worked as a clinical psychologist, but Mark struggled with severe depression and he became quite withdrawn. He was so frustrated by his depression that he became angry with God and became an atheist. Mark got treatment for his depression and because of the treatment he was able to muster the energy to decide he really needed to change his career. He really needed to go back into teaching and so he became again a college professor and he and his family moved to Kentucky where he would teach and just as the family was unpacking their boxes and and he was settling into his new office and teaching the first semester of classes, he discovered that he had advanced stage cancer. And a fellow professor in his department invited him to come to church and said to the church, this man, Mark, and his family, they don't know anybody here, and they're really in a bind. And so the church stepped in, and they started cooking and shopping and doing childcare and carpooling and house cleaning, and they brought gift cards to Mark and his family, and they shuttled Mark to chemotherapy and to doctor visits. And on March 24, 2006, Mark stood up before that congregation. He had before him tucked underneath his arm his oxygen tank to help him breathe. The cancer was now rapidly advancing and would soon take his life, but on that day, he stood before the congregation and he said, today, I feel better than I have felt in years. And he opened up his journal and he read from a section that he had written 10 years prior. He read, I dislike everything about my life, this town, this job, this house. I have no friends. I dread waking up in the morning. And then Mark shut the journal and he said, all of that has now changed. Once I became sick, I was surrounded by the light of love from people like you who hardly even knew me. It was as though there were a thousand arms of love reaching out around us and I knew then 
that I was in the presence of God, and I felt that I had been overtaken by the kingdom of God and allowed briefly to look inside and to experience just for a moment the love and the joy of Christ's kingdom. A few weeks later, Mark's wife woke up in the middle of the night, and she looked over at Mark, and Mark said to her, I have never felt such joy and peace in my entire life. In the story of the ten lepers, ten are healed. Only one is saved. The one who turned back to say thank you to God, to express gratitude to Jesus, found a wholeness that exceeded physical healing. Jesus says to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. What has changed here is more than the externals of a physical skin disease called leprosy. What has changed here is a man has realized that he has been claimed by the powerful love of God. And in the face of Jesus, he sees that he is loved beyond measure, embraced as a whole person, and set free to walk in a brand new way of life. Jesus says to him, get up, which means in Greek, rise because he is called to walk the risen life with the risen Christ. And so only if you and I are somehow able to imagine ourselves as a man without legs on a platform with wheels stuck in the sidewalk, might we be able to imagine God coming along and scooping us up and embracing us with love, and only then might we too erupt with gratitude and with praise.